0: Ah, good morning. It's a piwaka waka, and this is my v- virtual garden. This is my podcast, and I call it Garden Link. Why don't you join my fantels and come on into my garden? I recorded these two tracks on the 26th and the 28th of September, and I've taken two weeks to put them together. Nevertheless, I think you'll still enjoy them. John Summers and Catherine Miller had plenty to talk about, and perhaps we'll revisit them another time. I talked to John Summers on the 26th of September. Okay, well, what I want to ask you, first of all, John, is um, would it be fair to say that your property is a mixture of things, but first of all, you're trying to support yourself with your own food supply, but secondly, you're also trying to make some income? Correct, Mike, and the income stream is divided really, between
1: what I send into Christchurch for the flower auction and what I sell out of the gate.
0: So so perhaps people would like to know how big your place actually is.
1: Well, the whole property, Mike, is about 15,000 uh, or just over a hectare, uh, I think that's correct. Hmm. But you, a chunk of that, of course, as you've seen, is taken out by the house and the area surrounding the house. So that's non-productive land out of that. And also down the far end there, I've put in a few wattle trees, which you could say is, well, I've got sold yours under them now, but in general I regard that as
0: unproductive land. That's for firewood and my dotage. So, so in fact, your productive area might be less than a hectare?
1: It would be, I'd say. I didn't get the title deed out. I used to know that it had the figure in my head, but mm. yes, it would be less. It would be less than a hectare.
0: Um, and roughly, how much of that is under plastic and glass, John?
1: Well, I can tell you that precisely, because I just jotted down a few notes this morning, Mike. The total tunnel house area of the three bay and a single span tunnel, it's 330 square metres. The big one's 252, the small one's 81. Mm. And then, in addition to that, I have got three little, what you'd call term,
0: domestic um, glass houses uh, under 10 square metres each, but they're just primarily
1: for tomatoes. Well, I've got tomatoes in them now actually, Mike.
0: Oh, okay. So you've already got your tomatoes underway. Let's go back to your houses. What have you got in there?
1: I'm Drone. Matthew Alder and carna to you. Professionals or column stock to my mm. annual stock.
0: How many years have you been growing stocks now, John?
1: Well, uh, initially I grew them outside and uh, with mixed success and the, the the big tunnel was put up here in 2004 so more or less since then I've concentrated on stocks since 2004. I did grow a few stocks outside when I lived across the road with mm. where my old house was and also grew them in tunnels there but I used to space them a lot more. Now, uh, now as you've seen they've very concentrated two plants per mesh you know because mm. you're trying to get the, the maximum production out of that house
0: mm. uh, and how many crops in a year would you grow John well
1: in the tunnel houses recently just the one I used to also put in some early uh, bells of Ireland but I don't bother now I'm on the wrong side of 70 and I don't push it really in fact I made too much last year and our pitching was reduced you know <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> the flower market very uh,
0: conveniently put out a sheet of every single thing that I'd grown. So, John, the markets are telling you that you're growing quite a lot of different flower crops for them.
1: Well, a huge variety In a longer run. I think I'll be concentrating on Christmas lilies and I'll keep doing the stocks because I enjoy doing them. I'm, I'm growing a wide, wide variety of things, Mike, because I like growing things. Yeah. And if they make money, it's a bonus. <laughs> so yep. I also grow what I call little niche things, mm-hmm. such as
0: Scabiosa. Yes, I know that. big grower will be growing, the perennial Scabiosa, which grows quite tall, as I think you're, you're aware. I managed to get some of those seeds to germinate, so I'll have some next year for my home.
1: I'm sure they'll bring you great pleasure. A beautiful little flower with a long, long flowering period from... flowers almost the entire year but hmm. the frost will in general uh reduce the quality of the of the scabios are coming up to uh, they're coming into the winter
0: you right know. yeah yes. well i remember one year you sent in some rhubarb
1: i've tried just about everything that i thought looked you mean rhubarb
0: flowers yeah the flowers yes yeah you
1: know, to look, look to me faintly decorative Mike yeah. I've tried it but um, not, the buyers haven't always agreed with me <laughs> not. mm. but nothing fixed in clay in the flower business you, you can get a good price one day
0: yeah. and the next day the
1: bottom can fall out of it literally I had two or three bunches because I freighted some flowers and with Met Transport last Thursday for Friday's market mm. Had a bit of room in one of the buckets, mm. but not a lot of stocks, and I just put three bag, bu- three bunches of tulips, and they were red and yellow, pretty mm. common variegated. I call them, but it's not
0: strictly variegated. Two toned, more
1: yeah. better descriptive. Word. Well, those two bunches got, th- uh, three bunches got three fifty each.
0: Mm. Well, Yesterday I was going to the market, so I picked ten bunches. Yeah, and I, t- to my eye, they were identical. Yeah. those ten bunches only got. <laughs> so I'm just illustrating my point Yeah, and, Is there a bit of camaraderie between uh, the flower growers of uh, the Christchurch market you see them all there bringing their stuff in and taking it out again? Oh yes,
1: I'm quite friendly with some uh, the, the guy who inspired me to grow stocks though. he was a Swiss guy called Ockmate and Sutherland's Road, and what he called a wee microclimate around the base of the peninsula. Yeah. He died a couple of years ago, but I'm uh, uh, quite friendly with a guy in um, Ragura who just grows outside, mm. um, and, and he's also got land at Ebbeley, and he grows Bells of Island, and he's hoping I'll give up because, in a good hearted way, because <laughs> he'll have the market to himself, and not many people grow Bells of Island.
0: Now, John, you also grow to feed yourself, and you, grow, and you sell a few things at the gate. Um, you manage to grow most of your own food?
1: Quite a lot, but some things I don't bother with because they're so cheap, Mike. Mm-hmm. I think of onions and potatoes. I do grow potatoes, but I don't grow enough to last the whole year because I don't see the point. Mm. I grow swift, and I grow heather, probably right one and a white one just for early new potatoes and they're in the ground now and they're not through the only thing i've got for sale at the moment is leeks and pumpkins because as you know it's the time of the year when vegetables are at their at their lowest ebb as it were yeah I've got a good row of broad beans, which I
0: look forward to. Is one of mm. my favourite veggies. John, we've been talking for um, around about thirty-eight minutes, yes. and I'm going to cut this down to around about five to eight minutes. So I've got a whole heap of stuff to work good with. You. Um, Are you all right? Yep, that's great. Okay. Okay, bye. I spoke to Catherine on the twenty-eighth of September. And I chose to speak to Catherine because I know next to nothing about rhododendrons, and Catherine certainly knows a lot, lot more than the ordinary human being. I'm particularly interested in uh, talking to you because I can already see very few rhododendrons out, and um, uh, I know that you're very much a rhododendron, and I'll use the word expert. Well,
2: I do. Be- Mike, but if you'd like to try a question or
0: two let's see if i can help okay uh Catherine. um well for for starters when did you get involved growing rhododendrons a little bit of history
2: right seriously probably when i was first married um my father-in-law went to uh, ashburton and bought me six rhododendrons as farming gentlemen did in those days. Ladies didn't go and buy their plants, gentlemen did. (laughs) Anyway, gradually it evolved and I started seriously buying and gardening and the rest is history as people might say.
0: Uh, And uh, when did you get involved with the rhododendron societies and clubs?
2: When my children were quite tiny actually. Um, uh, I suppose, I'm just trying to think, but probably a good probably a good 45 years ago, um, which was probably an unusual thing to do, uh, but I had an interest and I was, you know, in what was, isn't really considered remote country now, but was then, and that that let me tap into literature and the opportunity to visit gardens that weren't open to private visitors and so on. And so 45 years ago, that was a National Society Society, that's the Canterbury Rhododendron Society, um, began a few years after that, and we were lucky enough to be Foundation members, and there we still are.
0: Mm. Uh, And of course you've built up a little bit of a collection uh, in your time uh, looking after rhododendrons? Um, The biggest
2: connection is in the Canterbury Rhododendron Society garden, uh, which is at Charteris Bay, um, within the Orton bradley Park, um, and particularly of recent years, um, when I, I'm quite often offered plants, either from a deceased estate or something like that, things that you can no longer obtain, and the, 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 the designation of choice is always uh, the Canterbury Endangered selection because the presumption is that that will outlive the...
0: Okay, you've been overseas uh, looking at rhododendrons?
2: I have indeed. The Horticulture Society has a rhododendron branch, and Jeff, my husband, and I have travelled with them from time to time through Britain, particularly in the famous Sussex Gardens and also in the Gardens of Lower Scotland. Um, And I've returned by myself once or twice. Only two years ago I went uh, on a tour um, down the, uh, the Mull of Kintyre, looking at conserving rare collections and uh, gardens from deceased estates evaluating what might or might not be able to be rescued or uh, propagated.
0: And have you gone to where uh, rhododendrons originate from?
2: No. There <laughs> is actually a funny story about that. I was invited about whenever the um, Icelandic um, eruption occurred anyway that year, I was invited to stick him as a speaker for a, a, a convention and I was stranded on my way there having to around and look at other things as travellers do. I was stranded in Frankfurt and in actual fact I simply could not get to stick him in time. So the, the long answer was yes, I was invited and the short answer is no.
0: Is that still an ambition? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Okay, well, that's, that's something to uh, look forward to, perhaps.
2: It's nice to dream.
0: Yeah. Um, now, uh, Catherine, when do rhododendrons start blooming in the sort of Canterbury area? Which of are the first ones? I'm
2: going to use the, the garden collections at Charteris Bay because it's more comprehensive than I have here at home. And so I'm going to say um, July. So in July what we call the big leaves the, the plants with leaves the size of elongated dinner plates they start flowering July, August um, both the the, the species the, the naturally occurring ones in other words the God made ones mm. um, things with uh, um, names like Prosthetum and Magnificum and so on there they are in all their pink enormous glory in July they don't mind one little bit if Mount Herbert is covered in snow there they are Uh, Then we move, and also their hybrids flower pretty much at the same time. Then we move on to um, late August, September. And at this period of time what we've got are smaller leaf species um, and their hybrids. And that's what we've got in abundance over in the Canterbury Rodeanian Society garden at the moment. Hmm. And then we gradually move, and here as well, and then we gradually move out of that into what we call mid-season, which is the thing that the public loves the most. Um, and we go from about a week from now through um, through to mid-October, right through until the very last, which are the sort of oranges and things like that, because, which bloom round about Christchurch Showtime. But, of course... Rhododendrons even flower right through into uh, January New Zealand, but uh, they're fleeting and only
0: particularly unusual varieties. As someone who's not particularly schooled in rhododendrons, is it a fair summation to say that rhododendrons tend to be evergreen and azaleas tend to be deciduous, or am I completely wrong? It's a
2: jolly good question. Rhododendrons drop their leaves, and, and, and loving owners get really distressed to send me emails and urgent phone calls saying, My rhododendron is dropping some leaves. And they actually do.
0: On some rhodos the leaves go yellow and they drop rather in walls, you know, mm-hmm.
2: almost in age levels on the plant. And so that's not a rhod- my rhododendron is dying, it's just what my rhododendron does. Mm-hmm. Rhododendrons, as far as I can think, are always evergreen, other than that natural leaf drop. Azalea is two different varieties, two different species families, so both of which, of course, are rhododendrons. But you, you do have evergreen varieties of rhododendrons, then you have the mollus and the gents and so on, who drop their leaves and are those very spectacular things.
0: And do you have a particular favourite?
2: Yes, my favourites quite definitely are those that have bred from the mollus and the Ghent, in other words, the deciduous, and uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a friend by the name of Dennis Hughes in Blue Mountain um, Nurseries, near Gaw, Tepidui, mm. who has over a lifetime developed some really wonderful hybrids breeding back to the Belgian Ghent azaleas, and they're mostly double and um, keenly sought after um, every gardener would want one or should have quite beyond beautiful
0: okay if you had a small garden as opposed to a large garden on a farm what particular rhododendrons would you recommend in the canterbury area i would be looking for some a
2: number of rhododendrons that are many of them bred in dunedin and therefore they sort of are south island orientated uh, chunky little plants. There's some, I'm just trying to think of some names. Um, bear with me for a moment. We might just come back to that. Mm-hmm. There are also a second phase of that would be there are a number of little plants. Um, i have seen some of them around at the moment. Either species, hybrids from species, with teeny tiny leaves. Really lovely little um, <laughs> landscape landscape plants. Um, not usually easily. But at this time of year, um, they sometimes are. Hmm. Is it because the leaves are tiny or blue tinged or grey tinged? They seem to look better with, for my landscaper's eye, with uh, concrete and paths and the, the nearer proximity to the house. than then you might um, normally get. Hmm. Now you wanted some wee rhododendrons, didn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And I have reached. Because my brain is not encyclopedic, I reached for a little book that I wrote, and I'm just having a little quick look. Right. Like, definitely something called Alpine Meadow, uh, which has received a an award and well-earned dainty land.
0: You're right.
2: Dainty land. Hmm. Slightly bigger, but still suitable for a, a small garden, um... Another Indonesian thing, Delkis. Mm. It's quite good to buy New Zealand-bred plants because they understand our world. Mm. The other thing I'm going to say what not to buy Mm. is there are a range of rhododendrons about which are quite lovely for a big farm garden like mine, but they become very leggy and they really don't like being hard-pruned, um... And so any gardener can quickly work out not the thing to buy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There are some lovely plants, slightly bigger but still very perfect for a small small garden, Uh, bred by the famous Jury family in Taranaki, the late Mr. Felix Jury, who bred probably half of New Zealand's best magnolias. And there are some lovely plants here, such as Felicity Fair and Barbara jury, um, Trumpety flowers, flower arrangement, people's dream, mm. um, flowers and shades of creams and brown and yellows. Quite lovely. really seen, but can be found not all that difficult if
0: you look for them. Mm. Uh, because I get the feeling that, People today don't buy rhododendrons because they're fearful of them getting too big or fearful, of course, about the fact that they need a little bit of care in terms of the soils that they grow in. That's
2: very true. Um, You know, uh, as you would know, um, clay soil is just not really ideal.
0: Catherine, I'm going to have to stop you there. We've been talking for quite a long time, so if you don't mind, we'd better finish.
2: I think you've got just what
0: you want. I have indeed. So, thank you very much for your time, Catherine. No trouble, Mike. Well, thank you very much, John and Catherine. I'm sorry that we weren't able to fit in all of your stories and all of your comments. And, listeners, I hope that I'm able to get back to you with another recording a little bit quicker next time you. some folks like radishes and some curl like kale but give i bought parsnips and a great dish of taters and a lump of fatty bacon and a pint of good ale on that note about radishes and ale i think i'd better finish up